Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Cherry on March 21st, Lord's Day Service. The words to which I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would form our minds and hearts in the image of faith, through the preaching of your word, we pray this for the sake of your name. Amen. Amen. To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow Jesus into the mission of Jesus. I'll say that again. To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow Jesus into the mission of Jesus. And in these verses, the mission of Jesus is contained in the statement in verse 17. And the reason you know that's the mission of Jesus is because he says in verse 17, I came. I came. And so he's telling us why he came. And he's telling us the mission that he has. And so our primary task this morning is to unpack Jesus' words in verse 17. Look at it with me. When he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now the reason Jesus says this is that he has just called Levi, the tax collector, to be his disciple. Jesus said, follow me, and Levi did. And those who do follow Jesus are disciples, and we see that definition in verse 15. In verse 15 it says, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Well, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, it goes on to say, for there were many who followed him. And so we have a basic definition of disciple here in verse 15. To be a disciple is to follow him. To be a disciple is to follow Jesus. Now, this isn't the exhaustive definition of disciple. For example, in John chapter 12, which I read earlier, we see a disciple defined as one who is a servant of Jesus. And so there's many angles that the scripture takes on defining disciple. But what we see here in Mark chapter 2 is disciple is defined as one who follows Jesus. The word disciple appears 58 times in the gospel of Mark. And here in Mark chapter 2 verse 15 is the first of those times. And the word literally means learner. But a disciple is more than a pupil. They are devoted to Jesus' teachings because they are devoted to Jesus. See, the idea of a disciple is not just that they're devoted to this abstract set of ideas. 
It's not just that they're devoted to this collection of moral sayings. The idea of a disciple is they are devoted to Jesus' teachings because they are devoted to Jesus himself. And so when Jesus says, follow me, it's not just follow me as I walk around Judah. It's not just follow me as I walk around Galilee. It's about following Jesus into the mission of Jesus, the reason that he came, as he said in verse 17. It's about following Jesus into his mission, a mission that is characterized by grace and truth. And what we see in verse 17 is that it's a mission where those who don't see themselves as needing grace, those who don't see themselves as being lost, those who don't see themselves as being sinners, have excluded themselves according to the free expression of their will. They have excluded themselves from the light of Jesus' mission. We see a similar concept in Acts chapter 13, verse 46, where Paul preaches the gospel. And for those who reject the preaching of the gospel, it says, they judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. And so Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners because they were sinners. And so we want them, or he went to them, just like a doctor goes to the sick. A doctor goes to the sick because he's a doctor and they are sick. And so it is that in verse 15, Jesus is dining at Levi's house with many other tax collectors and sinners. And then in verse 16, the scribes and Pharisees see this and they wonder, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And in response, Jesus says these words in verse 17, look at them again. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so we're going to see this morning that this statement in verse 17 means at least four things. The first thing this statement means is that the awareness of sin is the precondition to salvation. The awareness of sin is the precondition to salvation. So look what it says, verse 17, with that statement at the very beginning of verse 17, it says, those who are well have no need of a physician. Now, when you read that, you should stop and you need to ask the question, well, why not? Those who are well have no need of a physician. Well, why is that the case? Why do they not need a physician? Well, it's because if you think you have no need of a physician, if you think you are well, then you don't go to the doctor. But it then says in verse 17, those who are well have no need of a, phys of a physician, but those who are sick. Well, what about those who are sick? Well, if you know you are sick, you go to the doctor. And so think of it like this. Free heart surgery is not good news to the one who thinks his heart is fine. But free heart surgery is good news to the one who has a fatal heart disease. And so just like the awareness of heart disease is the precondition for heart surgery, so too is awareness of sin the precondition of salvation. Heart surgery saves you from heart disease. Salvation saves you from the penalty of your sin. Now today it is common to reject Jesus' words here. Today it's common to reject the idea that the awareness of sin is the precondition of salvation. 
Yet every Orthodox Christian thinker in the history of the church, from Paul to Augustine to Aquinas to Pascal to Chesterton to C.S. Lewis, have rotated their theology around these two poles, sin and salvation. And more particularly, the knowledge of sin is the precondition of salvation. Today, however, people operate with the tenuous idea that everybody is saved, even as there is no sin to be saved from. And so Jesus' statement here in verse 17 is quite unpopular in today's culture. And so the first thing this statement in verse 17 means is that the awareness of sin is the precondition of salvation. The second thing this statement means is that the awareness of sin is a step into Christian humility. The awareness of sin is a step into Christian humility. So look again at verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So according to verse 17, the only choice is sinners who know they are sinners and sinners who don't know they are sinners. And so Christians are not the opposite of sinners. Christians are sinners who are sorry for their sin and thankful that Christ took upon himself the guilt of their sin. And so according to verse 17, there's two kinds of people. There's the sinner who thinks he is righteous, and there's the sinner who knows he is not. And at the center of that distinction, at the center of between, between those two things, is what we call humility. You see, to know yourself to be a sinner is a step towards humility. It's a step towards humiliation before the throne of the holy God. Humility, that is humiliation, is required because we can only approach God on our knees. If we stroll up to God with a cocky strut and a cocky smile, you will be rejected. You must approach God on your knees, humiliated for your sin in the face of the splendor, of the glory, of the beauty, of the grace of God. And this kind of humility is not dishonest. It's not unmanly or cowardly. As Peter Kreeft says, humility is the open and clear light of day. Well, why is humility the open and clear light of day? Well, it's because humility is realism. When you are on your knees, humiliated because of your sin, that's reality. The reality is that we are, in fact, sinners. And so the person who thinks more highly of himself than he ought is not realistic. He's delusional. And that doesn't work out well when you're before the throne of God. Throughout the history of the church, Christians, when they're acting like Christians, have not hidden the fact that they are sinners. Christians do not brush their sin under the rug. Christians do not try to act like they're better than they are. Christians, following the words of the Apostle Paul, have confessed, I am the chief of sinners. Well, why do we confess that? Because that's the reality before the throne of God. So Paul confesses, I am the chief of sinners. And Christians, when they're acting Christianly, they too confess, I am the chief of sinners. And so then, how could you be less full of sin than the saints who say that they are the chief of sinners? How can you be less full of sin than Paul, 
who says he is crawling, sprawling, mass of sin. And so we see that Christians are sinners who know they are not righteous, who know they need Christ's help. And at the center of that knowledge is humility. In contrast, the person who scorns, sneers, jeers, and jokes at sin see themselves as not needing a physician. They're the person who, with, with, with a cocky smile, strolls up to the throne of God and says, hey, what's up? And so there's a difference between the two. There's a difference between the person who confesses I am the chief of sinners and the person who does not. And the center of that distinction between those two people is humility. And so the first thing we see verse 17 meaning is that the awareness of sin is the precondition of salvation. And the second thing verse 17 means is that the awareness of sin is a step into Christian humility. The third thing that verse 17 means is that the awareness of sin sorts people into categories. Now, we've already kind of seen this in point number two, but let's look at it again. Verse 17, let's see how the awareness of sin sorts people into categories. It says in verse 17, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, look at the two categories Jesus creates. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus now has two categories for people. The righteous, defined as those who think themselves in such a condition that they have no spiritual need. And then sinners is the second category, defined as those who are poor in spirit and know themselves in spiritual need. And so notice Jesus' categories. You see, people like to sort people into groups today to organize society. People like to sort people into categories. Okay, well, let's play that game. Let's sort people into the categories that Jesus wants us to sort them into. What are they? Righteous and sinners. Jesus doesn't say, I came to call the poor but not the rich. And he doesn't say, I came to call the rich but not the poor. He doesn't say, I came to call the oppressed but not the oppressor. He doesn't say, I came to call the women, but not the men. He doesn't say, I came to call the black, but not the white. No, the categories he uses are righteous and sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I thought Jesus came for everybody. And here Jesus is saying, as he defines his mission, I came not to call this entire group of people. What is that supposed to mean? I, I thought Jesus came for everybody. Well, it means, as Peter Crave says again, that the same light that fulfills some threatens others. It means that the divine nature of Christ, the justice of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Christ, Christ's unselfish love and self-sacrifice and willingness to suffer, to suffer is good, true, and beautiful to Christians. But it is hell to those who think themselves righteous. You see, the general call of the gospel goes out. And the so-called righteous, as Jesus labels them in verse 17, the so-called righteous hear, but don't understand. And we'll see this elaborated on in Mark chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 in a later week. The so-called righteous hear but don't understand. The sinners hear 
and understand. That's the difference between the two. The sinners hear and understand. And what do they understand? Well, they understand Jesus. They understand that when Jesus bids us to come and follow Him into His mission, that this is a wonderful thing for which they are made. When the so-called righteous hear Jesus bid them to follow Him, they think this is terrible news. And so, those who are sinners, as Jesus labels them in verse 17, they hear and understand. They understand that to follow Jesus is different from following other men. They see that Jesus is greater than Jonah, the preacher of repentance. They see that Jesus is greater than Solomon, the sage of antiquity. They look and they see, who among us is born of a virgin? What man ever healed such diseases as did Jesus Christ? They look and they understand, who has taken what is dead and made it alive? Who has taken what is blind and made it see? They look and see, hey, we have doctors that work with pharmacologists to temporarily heal the sick body, and we revere them. But what is this compared to what was done by Jesus our Savior, who eternally restores the whole person, body and soul? They look at the athletes people worship. LeBron James, Chris Bryant, Floyd Merriweather, Cristiano Ronaldo, Tom Brady. They're worshipped as gods among men because of their athletic feats. But they look and they look at Jesus and they say, but what is this compared to what was done by Jesus Christ? driving away diseases, demons, and death. They look and see scientists are esteemed because they offer scientific theories on the universe, but then they look at Christ and say, but what is this compared to creating the universe? They look and see Neil Armstrong and Buzz Alden hailed as heroes for flying into space, but then they look at Christ and say, but what man created the heavens and the earth as did Jesus Christ? They look at Bill Gates and see that he is held in awe because of his amazing wealth. But then they look at Christ and say, but what is Bill Gates' wealth compared to the man who had no place to lay his head, who owns everything on earth and in the entire cosmos? They look and see that soldiers are commended for their bravery, and rightly so. But then they look to Christ and see that it is the death of Christ that conquered sin and demons and makes sport of death. They look at the great leaders of world history, Alexander the Great, Constantine the Great, Napoleon, Winston Churchill. They see that they're regarded for their genius and their power for being great leaders of men and nations. But then they look at Christ and say, but who are these people compared with Jesus Christ who makes foolish the wisdom of the world, whose power makes something out of nothing? Alexander the Great, Constantine the Great, Napoleon, Churchill, these men are like a grain of sand compared with Mount Everest. This is what they see and understand. They look even at the great figures of church history. They see them, Augustine, Calvin, Luther, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, and on we could go, and we venerate them as having great insights into the mysteries of God. But then they look at Christ and they say, but who are these people, even the greatest saints? Who are these people compared with Jesus Christ, who is the exact imprint of God the Father's nature? They look and say, what is Samson's strength compared with that of Jesus who was raised in power? What is Solomon's wisdom 
compared with that of the one in who all the treasures of wisdom are contained? What is Methuselah's age compared with the age of the one who inhabits eternity? What are Elisha's miracles compared with the incarnation and resurrection of the God-man? What are Paul's visions of the third heaven compared with the incarnation and resurrection of the God-man? What's the point? The point is that there is a difference between the righteous and the sinners, the so-called righteous and the sinners. The general call of the gospel goes out, and the righteous hear, but they don't understand. The so-called sinners hear, and they do understand. And what do they understand? They understand that following Jesus Christ is not like following other men. They understand that they are sinners in need of Christ's excellencies, and they understand that the excellencies of Christ have no comparison. And so when Jesus says, follow me, they follow him, and they see that as good news. And so verse 17 means first that the awareness of sin is the precondition of salvation. It means second that the awareness of sin is a step into Christian humility. And it means third that the awareness of sin sorts people into categories. The fourth thing that the awareness of sin means, or excuse me, that verse 17 means, is that the awareness of sin helps people see Jesus as the great physician. Look with me again at verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so what we see in verse 17, lastly, is that one of Christ's main offices is that of physician. The scribes and the Pharisees fall to Jesus for dining with tax collectors and sinners. But will a physician not spend time with sick people? J.C. Ryle points out that the Lord Jesus did not come into the world, as some suppose, to be merely a lawgiver or to be merely a king or to be merely a teacher or to be merely an example. Jesus, it is true, he's all of these things, but his purpose is more than lawgiver or teacher or example. Had this been all the purpose of his coming, there would have been small comfort for man. Why is that? Well, because self-help rules and diet tables are all very well for those people who are recuperating from physical sickness, but such things are not suitable to the person laboring under a spiritual disease. And so Jesus Christ is a physician. And the Lord Jesus came into the world to be a lawgiver and a teacher, but not only a lawgiver and a teacher, he also came, it says in verse 17, to be a physician, a physician who specializes in human nature's mortal disease. He pitied us and came to bring divine medicine for our relief. He came to turn death into life, as we'll see on Resurrection Sunday two weeks from now. He came to give health. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to bless the poor in spirit. He came to give strength to the weak. This is Christ's glory, the great physician, the one who came to heal the mortal disease. And so as we saw at the beginning, to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow Jesus into the mission of Jesus. A mission where he comes, 
He says in verse 17, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have invited us into your mission. And with all the church of the redeemed, both in heaven and earth, we cheerfully confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh.